0: Hi, I'm Bill. And I'm Nikolai. And this is the Foreign Influence Podcast, our weekly romp through some of the week's international news. We appreciate your listening to the show. Gotta start off with a story from the Washington Post that came out (laughs) just here on this morning as we're recording. We're recording on Tuesday here in Singapore time. Uh, Apparently, we have been lied to about the Afghanistan war. For years,
1: but you'd be used to being lied to by now,
0: by multiple administrations, both Republican and Democratic, about how the war is going in the single longest war that the U.S. has participated in—18 years. But it's been
1: going fine. And listen, after winning the Vietnam War, (laughs) well, that's right. That's what happened. It's only to be expected that everything would work out just fine. Someone lied to me about that at some point.
0: No, it's really incredible. They got access to a treasure trove of uh, uh, interviews that had been conducted. So this agency within the U.S. federal government uh, basically uh, kind of got the assignment, took the assignment upon themselves to interview as many people directly connected with the U.S. effort in Afghanistan as they could and get their honest assessments because no one ever thought these would be released. Mm. And boy, this is a testament to the need to have large, robust news organizations, because the Washington Post engaged in a three-year legal battle with the U.S. federal government and got these documents and has put together some excellent reporting that we'll link to in the show notes. You should go look it up on how basically all of these interview subjects said, yeah, it was just, uh, it wasn't going well. It hasn't been going well. It's still not going well. (laughs) But we told everyone that things were on a constant upward slope.
1: Yeah, but people are are are, are just eager for good news. Uh, so yeah, well, what are you going to say? It's not going well,
0: or just people aren't paying the price. Hmm. So the, you know, this is a key element uh, that has happened in the U.S. is fewer and fewer people are in the military. It's yeah, uh, I I think it's somewhere around one percent, but it's a very 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 small percentage. And we've asked these people to do repeated tours. And we don't conscript people, because the U.S. military doesn't want conscripts. They had that trouble in the Vietnam War, and it Mm -hmm. led to drug abuse and all kinds of problems with discipline. These families, these people, have gotten hammered on through this endless war. And, um, you know, broken bodies, broken minds, right? Well, yeah. And all for what many in the moment were saying is a hopeless, failing task but we can't tell, in a democratic society, we can't tell people that. That kind of poisonous patriotism is just disgusting. I'm, I'm angry. That I, article made me angry.
1: I just call it poisonous. There's no need to add patriotism, I think. I think there's nothing patriotic about it. Well, there you go. Right. right? I think it's just completely... Well, that's what you get when you wage wars that, that never happen on your territory. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. In countries mm-hmm. that people don't even know to locate on the map Um, (laughs) for reasons that are not clearly communicated (laughs) to the public and
0: of course you know this comes in the context of the lead up to the iraq war which right the crime that committed with the way the bush administration Mm. led the u.s through Mm. lies and deceit into the iraq war this was the afghanistan war this was pretty black and white okay taliban we weren't going to invade you, but you've you're housing the criminal that committed, that that organized and led and and inspired the World Trade Center attacks, mm. uh, and, and the attack in Washington, and of course the plane that crashed in, in Pennsylvania as well. You you inspired 9/11. Uh, we want him, please. He, he's clearly an international criminal. Please hand him over now. Well, okay. We went to war to get that guy. Right, He eventually was gotten, by the way, in Pakistan, yes. <laughs> where he was being sheltered. sheltered. Uh, but we're still there, and it's not getting better, and we've been lied to about it. Mm. So, you know, Trump actually came in saying enough with endless wars. You know, you talk about the things that, like a broken clock, he occasionally gets things right. Uh, he won't do it. But maybe we can end this endless war that we've only been stayed in because of you know, in 18 years because of lies.
1: 18 years.
0: We have wow. been fighting in Afghanistan. 18 years. Kids were born when
1: this war started that can now go serve in it. Wow. It's insane. Well, that's one sign it's not going great, by the way. <laughs> if, if, you, right. if, you, if your war becomes generational, <laughs> and you're not yes, winning. You're a, a, not winning. A, a, yes, yes, t- yes.
0: <laughs> and the low-end estimate is a trillion US dollars. That's a perfectly that's fine amount. That's the low-end estimate because it doesn't include a bunch of other stuff. That's like pure... Freedom dollars. Oh, yes. Those are the freedom dollars. They're free. Yeah. Or wait, no. Uh, anyway, we'll move on because we, we have an interview. There was one other topic, but I, I just i'm just i mean when I, when I read that just a pit in my stomach yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just I can understand horrible especially yeah just horrible well, and
1: all of those people giving some i I think just to just to dwell on this for a little bit, what I think is problematic is something you alluded to earlier is that if if you push back on wars or on the reason why the u s is going to war in certain countries you're seen as unpatriotic absolutely you're seen as un American, which is completely crazy, right? Your your national identity is wrapped in warfare, up to such a such an extent that it's just.
0: Well, why do you love terrorists?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: I mean, why 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 do you love terrorists so much? Why don't you just go give them a big wet kiss? That's exactly. It would sound just like that. Just like that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's. uh, Yeah. Let's talk about Brexit. Right, so there's one other topic Way we more want to fun. talk about real fast because it's coming up later this week. Uh, uh, yes, so Brexit uh, vote uh, in the UK uh, for their representatives in Parliament is on Thursday. Right. It's a quasi-second referendum on Brexit because...
1: Well, yeah, elections, yeah. So they know if certain people get voted in that Brexit will happen. Right, because right.
0: the, the Tories, the Conservatives... Uh, They, under Boris Johnson, are committed to leaving at all costs. And so if they win and get a clear majority in the parliament— at no cost to him, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Right. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. If they uh, get that uh, majority in parliament, then Mm. apparently that's an endorsement of their policy. Yeah, I guess. To speak, uh, despite whoever wants to remain— you know, one of the fortunate things about being in Singapore, very cosmopolitan city. You and I, Nikolai, have had the good mm-hmm. fortune to fall in with a lot of Brits, and um, boy,
1: their palpable sense of frustration. Oh, yes, they don't like it one bit. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of uh, use of the word bollocks these days. Are <laughs> <laughs> discussing politics, and still, no one knows what they're talking about. Well, <laughs> we've been told it's not. It's it's it, it's not a swear word. We can just use it. Yes, it's not. You wouldn't – how was it put to us? You wouldn't well, use colloquial. it in front of the – You wouldn't use it in front of the queen. Yeah. Uh, but you can use it in front of your kids. Yes. <laughs> right. It's somewhere in between the queen and your kids. It's bollocks. <laughs> so, yeah. So, we had to learn that word this this week.
0: But uh, we're in chat groups with these folks, and we see them from yeah. time to time. And they don't want to vote conservative because uh, they are very much remain. But then um, they can't bring themselves to vote labor uh, so they don't know what to do.
1: Yeah. yeah so, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, not my country. I don't not care. Not my country. <laughs> 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 they don't even have freedom over but there. It's,
0: but it's part of Europe. So, well. I've asked you this in prior shows. So, wh- yeah. where do you come down on where UK, no, we really need them to stay in, or, oh, for God's sakes, just
1: go already? Oh, well, I prefer. Or is to, that too simple? Well, I think leaving isn't good for anyone. Mm. A giant economic costs uh, to be paid on both sides of the canal. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, probably m- much higher cost on the UK side. If they do leave, they should pay that cost, and it should be tremendous. Uh, then I think their economy... Well, that's interesting. You think it should be punitive? Well, it, I think it has to be in order to save the European project. Oh, wow. If yeah. it is shown to be without consequence, then Europe is done. So I think the UK will have to crash and burn in order for Europe to, to survive unless they make up their stupid minds and manage to stay. Uh, and I think the, the, the problem, I mean, we've discussed, we've talked about this many times, but I think it's been one giant campaign of lies and misdirection saying that the, the migrants are at the gate and they will overflow our once great, once great nation. And, and all this just, money that had
0: been going to the European uh, commission, right? right. right? Yeah,
1: uh, it's all useless and it doesn't benefit us in any meaningful way. All of which is false, right? All yeah. of these are like yeah. none of these are facts. Um, just lies everywhere, and 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 the way public opinion has been manipulated through another thing that we've touched upon in previous episode, um, uh, social media campaigns and whatnot. Uh, yeah, uh, knowingly spreading lies, right? Knowingly spreading misinformation to have people to vote to get people to vote a certain way. And and people just get away with it. There's no consequences, no jail time for anyone to just destroy one of the greatest democracies of Europe, as if it's nothing. And a union of, of free peoples. Profit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So great. Yeah. And of course, in retrospect,
0: Contest. many people now look at the Brexit uh, Leave referendum campaign as the dry run for the 2016 election, uh, mm. and and the mm-hmm. social media manipulations mm-hmm. that took yeah. place yeah, yeah, there. Yeah
1: uh in the u.s elections um yeah well lies 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 and this direction i love it well i hope our we have a guest today i hope he won't right. tell any lies no uh, he'll will give us the truth the truth so we'll be talking to uh, thomas jeston who is a french entrepreneur here in singapore uh, very active dude very very interesting fellow co-founder of a social media agency uh, with offices in six countries uh, serial entrepreneur and the, the, the offer of a very interesting newsletter on uh, on innovation and whatever is new in in science and economic development all across the globe.
0: Yeah, so we, and we enjoy his uh, insights on a, a variety of things, uh, tech and uh, thoughts on like yeah. GDP and whether it's a good measure of things and some positive ways to look at the future of tech. Uh, so we thought it would be interesting to have him on the show, and um, we'll let's yeah, uh, start hearing from uh, Thomas. All right. So Thomas,
2: we figured we'd start off. Please tell us a little bit more about uh, your various ventures that you're involved in. Sure. So, actually, uh, I'm a Frenchman. I uh, started my first venture right out of college uh, back in France. Uh, We are trying to replicate Facebook. Uh, We are trying to to basically create the the French Facebook. Low-hanging fruit, (laughs) eh? Low-hanging fruit. (laughs) Actually, some German people had done the same uh, in Germany, and it was a resounding success. Uh, They just chose uh, red instead of uh, blue. Uh, We tried to do uh, something uh, like that, but we failed... uh, and uh, yeah, because Facebook was, you know, booming in France at the same time, so we had no chance. But then we, we pivoted and we basically launched our uh, digital advertising agency, which I'm still running to this day. So I'm the CEO and, uh, and co-founder. Uh, I left France back in 2013. I settled here in, in Singapore and I've been growing the, the business in Asia since then. We have a, a large office uh, in India where I spend some time as well. So we are helping brands uh, communicate using uh, the digital channels. So we've been working with Singapore Airlines, uh, OCBC and uh, other brands uh, from Singapore and uh, and from uh, the the rest of the world.
1: So how do you like it here in in Singapore compared to France?
2: It's very different. It's very comfortable. I mean, I'm not going to repeat all the stereotypes, but uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nice place to live. Nice place to live, yeah. Very safe. uh, easy to do business, uh, the weather, uh, although it takes quite some time to uh, adjust to the weather, uh, mm. I kind of uh, like it right now, and you can uh, fly uh, to wonderful places very easily, so, and there are so many, I mean, I like the fact that it's very international, you meet very interesting people from all over the world, so I think that's definitely one of the, you know, the, the, the keys of uh, Singapore success, so yeah, that's a great platform where to operate for us.
1: Aren't you a little bit sad that you're not on strike today though?
2: Yes, uh, indeed. Yeah, French is very famous for strikes. I mean, you know, uh, us French people, we're uh, always complaining about everything. <laughs> so, yeah. We do try. We're never happy. Yeah, never. But the whole country is shut down right now, right?
1: It's crazy. Everything is shut down.
2: Yeah. So, I don't know how long it's going to last. Last year, it lasted for uh, a few months. But I think Macron managed to cope with it. Uh, we'll see how it goes this time, you know, it's about the, the, the pension system, it's very critical because we're we're not saving enough money, people are aging, so it's not sustainable, uh, the whole system is going to collapse, so there's a lot at stake and I think we, people will have to, to be a bit reasonable, although, you know, when it gets out of control, you, you never know how it's going to end. So yeah, I'm watching this uh, closely from afar, but yeah, uh, yeah it's a bit worrying.
1: Well, and as you said, it's about pension reform. We discussed this last time. We did. Um, And basically, it comes down to the fact that this is the first French president who is uh, really implementing some uh, neoliberal reforms, right? Which uh, you could speak to, I think, Bill. To well, the effectiveness of well, <laughs> these kinds of policies.
0: You know, the things that uh, people in Europe take for granted is not at all our lived reality in the US, right? So, the things that we see yeah. in terms of the ability of unions to conduct these kinds of strikes and to have national impact and the, the pension and retirement and medical, right? Uh, healthcare uh, support that people in Europe, European countries get, we just can't even begin to fathom in the U.S. Uh, so we live the neoliberal dream every single day.
1: And what a beautiful dream it is! I can't wait to get there. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Well, I think it's <laughs> well, all about do you think wealth that's distribution. Where this is headed? Right? Yeah. Well, not well. Not, well Will protest, so it won't be that easy, right. and, 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 we'll, and we'll see what the final proposal will be. Right, it hasn't yeah. been officially announced yet. I think it's going to be announced end of this week or next week.
2: Yeah, so we, we, remember we have correctly. to say, yeah, but yeah, I mean, we have to save more. We won't be able to get as much, and we have yeah. to work for longer. I mean, uh, <laughs> there's except, no way around that equation, right? Except the ultra rich, right? That's where
1: that's where some of the problems yeah. begin, right? So they say, like, okay, so you contribute a certain percentage to your pension which drops off significantly after you make a certain amount of money, but then you still reap the same kinds of benefits, which is basically what people are not very happy about. Um,
2: But you know what's in a way crazy about France is that this is the one country where taxes are the highest in terms of percentage of the the overall GDP, so in terms of both taxes and and social charges. So it stands at 45%, right? 45%. The average in the EU is 35%. In the US, it's 25%. So yeah. we are the one country where we are taxed the most and still people are unhappy. So they would like us to tax even more, <laughs> you know, spend even more, but it's already at the maximum, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's not sustainable. So we have to, I would say, just change the, uh, our ways in how we do some of the things we do. Like uh, I think in education, we, we could do way better because if you look at the latest PISA right. study, France is ranked, you know, uh, so far at the bottom of that uh, list. It's a shame, given all the money that we invest, we should do way better. So yeah, so I think it's not so much about the money; it's about how you use that money. And, uh, and the problem is that people, they never have enough. So even uh, with that level of taxation, and, yeah. and there's a, so much redistribution already in France. I mean, we're talking, we were talking just before about the UBI, the Freedom Dividend in the US with Andrew Yang. But in France, we already have some kind of uh, UBI, you know. Uh, if you're not working, you're eligible to some uh, money, you know. We won't let you die in the street. You, you'll get some subsidies and stuff like that. So a lot of people are enjoying wow. that kind of... I mean, it, it, it could be increased... But it's that's a form of it, you know, that's the beginning of something. And, uh, and yeah, so I don't know if we could do that much more there. So that's why it's an intractable problem that we have in France with people. They, they, they keep striking like that.
1: Well, but I think in this particular case, they, would you not agree that they have good grounds to strike? I think the reform, I mean, although I completely am in favor of and understand the need to go towards a universal pension system, Uh, Like Piketty has said on many occasions, right? There's many ways to implement a universal pension system, and this might not be the right one. So one of the things that he keeps hammering on about, which I tend to agree with, I would say, is that. So um, these these numbers are going to sound ridiculous to you, but they are in euros, and because of the context, right? This is a lot of money, 120k per year, right? 120,000 euros a year is a lot of money um right now once you hit that level right so your participation to your pension is going to go down from 28 to 2.8% so it's going to be divided by 10 which is significant right but you still reap the same benefits right meaning that your pension is still a linear function of the, um, the money that you have earned in the 20 uh, years where you've earned the most, which is if you earn 300,000 a year is ridiculous, right? I, I don't see why the state should be responsible for giving you 300,000 a year after you stop working. Uh, I think it would be reasonable to say, let's cap that. Let's not give you more than 100K, right? Or, or something along those lines, while still having you participate more than a 2.8% on your higher revenue, to finance the people of society that earn less than you which I would think would be a great way to redistribute wealth and they've chosen to like mix two things to go towards a universal model which I think is great and which I encourage even though I think there's 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 technicalities which should be taken into account the life expectancy and stuff like that I think Piketty makes a point out of this as well saying that if you earn 200k a year your life expectancy is way higher yeah. right or significantly higher so you might want to weigh that with the amount of money that you pay people right because you're going to pay them more Um, But I think it's great to have a universal system. But don't mix the implementation of a universal system with a reform where basically you're going to have the poorest people finance the richest people. It it just doesn't make sense to me. Or am I just being a communist now? I'm not sure. I do love America. hate America. I I keep forgetting. (laughs) Which one is it? Well, we just lost all of our American listeners. Great. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Both of
0: them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, several things that I heard there, but something I'm curious to hear both of you talk about. So as you mentioned, Thomas, that the taxation level is up at 45%. Is, is that just your central federal taxes, or do you know? Is that all in?
2: Everything. All in everything. together. So mm-hmm. social mm-hmm. charges, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the VAT, uh, you know, the income tax, the so everything put together that's so 45% of GDP.
0: 45% of every person's dollar is going into taxation which then yeah. turns um, into services. So the big knock on that in n- US not just services
2: no. it could also be uh, pensions for the for for the, ah. the and also not just every person's dollar
1: right so this is including employ- employer charges that okay. the employer pays over the employee. So we find uncertain things by having the employer pay Healthcare, for example, yeah, they pay a more significant or, or retirement, they pay a more significant contribution than the individual employee. Even though one could argue that it comes out of the employee's pocket, because otherwise it would be paid to the employee, which I think is completely naive. <laughs> like that's it. Is and is not depends on whether huh. you have
0: a labor union. Yeah, well, but uh, you know, so the knock on that in the U.S. context is it destroys the incentive to work, and you're an entrepreneur. You started in France, but you moved to Singapore. So what is your take on whether that level of taxation actually discourages people from working hard?
2: I think it does to some extent indeed. Because, I mean, in France, we have 8% unemployment rate. Wherever, I mean, uh, in the rest of the OECD, it's now closer to uh, 4%. Hmm. In the U.S., it's even lower than that. So for sure, it it, you know, it's a disincentive to to, to join the workforce, you know, mm. so, so that's for sure. So, with the, so, now you have to, but it doesn't mean that it's, it's uh, the way it is in the US is uh, is the ideal scenario, you know, you have to strike, uh, you know, in between, as for me. So, I'm sure there would be incentives that you can think of in France to get more people to be working. But yeah. I think it's good that we have the, the, the redistribution system that we do have, because, you know, uh, at some point, when you are uh, too far, you know, uh, too much into poverty, you cannot think, well, it affects your IQ as well. You know, you, you know if you don't even have enough to pay any uh, uh, bills that you may get, you know, it will affect your, your chances to find a job. So then it's a, it's, a, it's a downward spiral. So, you know, you need to have some uh, uh, revenue even if you're not working. So I think, mm. I think this is what's really harsh in the U.S. If, if you don't have anything, you don't have anything. Yeah. In France, oh. you would get some minimum Uh, to so you you could you know still stay in the game and uh, uh, but having said that again yeah there's no reason why the unemployment rate in france should be stuck at eight percent while it's four percent elsewhere Mm. well those effects are real
1: it's just a balance point as you said exactly yeah yeah well i think I i think a large contributor to that is just the the flexibility of the job market people are so reluctant to hire in france because they feel that they cannot easily fire in hey, it, it, you're right. Which is not true. Up to <laughs> right. I, I, I mean, this is a this is a misconception. I think on the part of companies. So I've hired people, in the, uh, as an entrepreneur, you can get rid of them easily. You have like up to six months, depending on their job level, to fire them without any given reason. Just that people are very reluctant to do it. It's a it's a issue. Mm-hmm. So to spend a lot of time on hiring. I uh, I've like have hired uh, Java developers, for example, so engineers. Spend months hiring them, right? and then enormous reluctance to get rid of them.
2: I think it depends on the industry, depends on the job. I mean, good developers are scarce uh, everywhere. Yes, they're also so scarce. It, that's there. why you yeah. would be reluctant. You would be ready to take a bidding for some time uh, rather than uh, uh, you know, uh, fire your good developers. So I think it, it depends on the industry. Yeah, so
0: yeah. yeah. So here's another thing I'd like to get your take on, Thomas. Uh, So you wrote an interesting article that we'll link to in the show notes uh, talking about how GDP is maybe not the best measure to use for our economic uh, well-being anymore. Uh, So could you kind of summarize your argument and we can discuss that a little bit?
2: Sure. So there are a lot of things that are not, uh, you know, uh, counted in the GDP. And there are a lot of things that are counted in the GDP that should not matter as much. So, for instance, the more prisons you build, the larger your GDP. The more money you spend on your healthcare, the, the larger the GDP. Even though your healthcare might not be as efficient as it could be. Like, for instance, in the US, they spend so much per capita on, on health, but the the life expectancy is lesser than in uh, some other countries. So this is completely broken, right? Why would you rejoice of having a large GDP if at the end of the day your life expectancy is lesser than in other places? You know, it's ridiculous. Because of freedom, Thomas. (laughs) Freedom. (laughs) No, so there are so many examples like that. But at the same time, there are things that are not counted. Like if a mom is spending a lot of time helping her child uh, do her homework, that is not counted, you know? So you, you find that uh, at, at all levels, so that's why it's broken. But having said that, it's still uh, the, 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 probably the best tool that we have until now. But that, that should change, because for me, I see GDP as a means. It's, you know, it's not an end, it's a means to an end. For me, what matters is what I call the you know, your access power. I'm not even want, I don't even want to talk about purchasing power, because there are more and more things that you don't even need to pay for, that you can access for free, like, for instance, Wikipedia. Uh, you know, it's uh, in some ways uh, way better than uh, the uh, uh, Inks, uh, Brit- Britannica encyclopedia, uh, but it's free, and it used to be so expensive to access that kind of knowledge. Uh, search like Google is free, and um, and uh, you know it's so it's so much valuable. So there's a study that says that some people were, would be happy to pay like uh, uh, you know several thousands of dollars to uh, to retain access to search. You know. Uh, so so it's, it's, it, a lot of that value is actually not captured. So a lot of the, the stuff that we're uh, using for free, they bring a lot of access power to us, they, they bring us a lot of convenience, but they're not captured as well by, uh, in the GDP. Because if you look at the, the GDP, uh, for instance, you look at uh, Google advertising dollars, but these advertising dollars, they pale in comparison to the value that people are getting out of, search, out of Google search, for instance. So it, it doesn't match exactly so so that's the thing, GDP doesn't capture a lot of the value that we're getting from, from uh, basically uh, our economic system, you know, out of all these uh, tools and services out there on the Internet. So for me, what should matter is that kind of value that we get, you know, the convenience, you know, the, the, all these uh, services that we can access, not so much uh, the price at which we pay them, or the, because some of them are even free, you know. So, so that's why in that article I've been talking about the access power, that's what we should measure, but it's, it's really hard because a lot of these things are intangible, but there are efforts uh, on the way to get us there again. Studies where again they ask people how much would you be ready to uh, uh, to pay to return access to this or to that, you know? Uh, and it's very interesting to, to see that, uh, yeah, pe- people, they, they value Facebook uh, a lot. So apparently uh, uh, it's like, uh, I think it was something like uh, hundreds of uh, billions of dollars overall, uh, which is not captured in the GDP uh, in terms of value that Facebook is bringing people, in terms of joy and you know, how they spend their, their free time. So. Yeah, I think all of that is interesting, and um, that's why uh, GDP is still useful, but, you know, we need to think uh, beyond GDP.
0: And, and just to clarify, gross domestic product is what we're talking about for who anyone who doesn't know the acronym uh, or the three-letter combo. Uh, so gross domestic product, which is basically just adding together all of the cost or the price paid for all the services and goods in the economy in a given year or whatever period. And yes, many things are left on the table, both the positive things that you mentioned um, plus uh, the negative things. So like we were just discussing healthcare, right, and how we pay so much, but we get very little. Well, in the U.S. system, some people get none at all. Their agony and stress from not having access to healthcare doesn't get measured yeah. in, in GDP. So it is really an imperfect measure on human well-being uh, in many ways.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think that human well-being is the end point. This is what we should be measuring. This is what matters the most, you know, Uh, happiness, well-being, indeed.
0: You know, you mentioned Facebook, which, of course, has gotten dinged for creating a lot of negative well-being lately, especially in the Mm. U.S. So what is the future, do you think, the positive vision going forward for where technologies, uh, especially the ones that we always hear about now, you know, AI and things like this, where can they create more Uh,
2: positive value going down the road, do you think? So thanks to technological progress at large, you know, we'll get more and more uh, goods and services, better uh, goods and services, cheaper goods and services, goods and services that are more and more environmentally friendly. So I think this is a good thing, right? So we'll be able to access more and it will be more convenient. So uh, this will tend to benefit increasingly more people. So if you look at, uh, you know, extreme poverty, in a matter of uh, maybe 20 years, it, it, it decreased of 60%. You know, hundreds of millions of people escaped extreme poverty. Yeah. You know? So in volume now, there are less people in extreme poverty than uh, 200 years ago. So, that, that, so that's crazy when you think of it. So of course, uh, because now we're only focusing on uh, a lot of the negatives, we tend to miss the, the motion pictures. You know, we're looking at the picture of today, but in the overall scheme of things, uh, even not looking back at like 10,000 years ago, even looking back only at 200 years ago, it's insane what, what has happened. And a lot is going to happen as well, in the, because you have more and more technology that are combining ever more, you know, it's accelerating. So I think we're on for a surprising, you know, next 20 years. So for me, it's. I mean, there are some negatives, including like climate change and all of that. Mm. Uh, there will be some damage, but I think um, in many ways technology will help us mitigate that damage. And uh, I don't believe in these theories where, you know, uh, the human species will be exterminated because of uh, climate change and stuff like that. So there will be some damage. People may have to migrate from some places to others. But uh, at the end of the day, I think that with the help of uh, technological progress, we'll uh, we'll make it work for the better.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Oh, that's really more optimistic than we like to be and we ever <laughs> no. are no but, no but I think I think it's interesting what you're saying because right now today the world is a better place to live than it, is a, it has ever been right even though we focus yeah. on the negative everything has become massively better on average overall there's, there's a great website you can look at I think it's called dollarstreet.com that's mm-hmm. um, um, by um, Heinz
2: Rossling yes there you initiated go initiated,
1: yeah 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 very interesting so um, looking objectively at, at measures and seeing how they've improved over time and Perform uh, questionnaires to see how, how people judged overall improvement uh, of living conditions and, and, and the overall state of things on on earth and people were overly negative of course because we are biased mm-hmm. we focus on the negative because we want to avoid danger right So we trend so we tend to underestimate the positive and all the news that we read is negative and our Facebook
2: feed is horrible and <laughs> so we focus <laughs> on the negative but things are getting better yeah so, yeah. And the thing is, you know, you have uh, more and more people. I mean, intelligence is uh, evenly distributed across the world. But until now, uh, not all the genius could express Mm. a potential because they they didn't get access to education. Mm. Soon enough, wherever you are, you'll be able to access uh, all the knowledge uh, so far instantly, uh, anytime. So um, you you will have more and more brains working on more and more problems uh, faster than ever. So, you know, all that, uh, you know, brain power combined to uh, existing technologies and, uh, and uh, media tools, all of that will uh, bring even more innovation. So, innovation is going to accelerate. So, people are concerned when the human population is increasing, but actually, you know, when human population is increasing, uh, the number of smart people working on uh, great problems is increasing as well. And there's a combination effect as well, you know, because, uh, so, meaning it's, it. Innovation, in a way, will uh, increase exponentially, you know, at the square of the, the, the increase of population, mm. or maybe even more. So, so, in a way, you know, there's no reason why uh, growth should stop, why technological progress should stop. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, and, you know, I mean, uh, like engineers like to say, you know, any problem, you know, if you think really hard, uh, there's a way to, to fix it. So, so it should get easier down the road.
1: Yeah, I tend to share that optimism. Yeah, 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 definitely.
2: Well, I think it's also related to the to a
1: misconception about wealth, right? People think that wealth is finite, or so you can create wealth.
2: But wealth yeah. is very artificial because it's it's in our eyes, you know. If we think this something is uh, valuable, then it will become valuable. Yes. So it's Even bananas. It's all about it. exactly. So it's all <laughs> it's all in our imagination. So yeah, there's no reason why you know it should be limited. What's limited is the time we have. To right. think about stuff, yeah, we have yeah. 24 hours hmm. a day. We cannot really spend uh, more time than that uh, thinking about stuff or doing stuff or consuming stuff, you know, or playing stuff. And uh, so there's only so much to go around, 24 hours in a day. So that's the ultimate resource, you know. This is finite. Everything else, hmm. you, you can probably increase uh, more than we think, especially if, if you can access resources in the in the rest of the, you know, the solar system, right? Which is going to be the case uh, before 30 years. So, uh, yeah, in that sense, it's uh, way more unlimited than, uh, than we think. But, you know, people, they tend to think that uh, resource consumption is tied to uh, growth. But it's no longer the case. Basically, since 1970, uh, the economy keeps increasing while, uh, you know, our consumption of uh, physical stuff is decreasing. Like, for instance, since 1980, uh, the GDP in, in the U.S. is up 175%, but energy consumption per capita has decreased 10%. Yeah, So uh, the GDP has grown... That's even with the
0: computer revolution and everything associated with it. Because we tend to think,
2: okay, the the more uh, devices out there, the more things we can do. uh, So the more energy we can produce, the more people are happy to consume that energy to do more stuff. But no, in the U.S., Energy consumption is down ten percent per capita since nineteen eighty, while the GDP is up one hundred and seventy five percent. So that's very counterintuitive. Right, right. right. It's crazy when you think of it. Look at now agriculture, food. You know, people they are concerned we will not be able to produce enough food. Right. Okay. So uh, we're now producing more food than ever, using less land, less fertilizer, less water. So, uh, 20% less water than uh, at its peak, 25% less fertilizer than uh, at its peak. Uh, You know, since, I think it's since 1980, something like that, uh, the equivalent of the, in terms of uh, surface area, of the state of Washington has been returned to nature in the U.S., you know, Hmm. from uh, cropland, pasture land, you know, returned to nature. So, we can produce more food, again, using less uh, land, less fertilizer, less water. So this is, this is uh, insane when you think of it, right? So you, you see that trend for most of the physical stuff that, that we use. So it's, uh, I think it's very encouraging and uh, we don't know about that, you know. So there's a book that I recommend highly, it's called uh, More With Less uh, by Andrew McAfee, uh, you know. So Andrew McAfee was from the MIT and he, so even himself he realized that qu- quite uh, recently. So it came as a shock, and he wrote that book to explain that, that, that whole phenomenon, you know, we're using less, less and less physical stuff to produce more and more uh, food, more and more, you know, uh, goods and services, you know, so it, there's a dematerialization, which is at work, you know, so people need to stop t- uh, considering that uh, growth has to do with, you know, resource consumption, you can uncouple the two, this is happening, this has been happening since the 1970s. I think most of the land that's been
0: returned is in my old hometown of Detroit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but look, forest. <laughs> the, the recent- once manufacturing capital of the world, but now they're talking about urban farming because yeah. the city has declined uh, so far. But, you know, what you're talking about there with uh, more and more things aren't physical and talking about the stock of wealth, because, of course... Wealth is a is a stock measure. It's yeah. it's a fixed pool of things that you measure. And you're both coders, so I think of software, right? So in the early days, somebody had to write I'm not the really first one. Uh, yeah, oh, you're thank, not? Thank you for the compliment. Ah. <laughs> I wish I was. <laughs> is that
2: a compliment? I wish I were. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, it's great. Well, you're the coder. <laughs> Why am uh, I uh, the coder? <laughs> <Yes. laughs> what? Yeah. You've got I'm a decoder. I've coded, it. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> I've written Just code. let me make my, just All go right. along with it and just make,
0: <laughs> <laughs> let me make my point that someone had to write the first piece of code, but now there's plug and play code, right? And there's entire free online libraries of, right. of code yeah. that you can turn to it. And that's a stock of wealth that if it can be, be maintained, the next coder comes along and can use free of charge, essentially, right? And that's true of so many ways in the way wealth is being accumulated
2: nowadays. Silence in the room. Yeah, no, so, I mean, that's interesting. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> because, you know, I, I was talking about dematerialization, but at the same time, you have also um, democratization of uh, of a lot of stuff that is uh, happening, meaning uh, AI won't just be something that, uh, you know, a computer science PhD will be able to uh, use. Indeed, right. it, it will get democratized uh, to the point that you can even ask yourself, okay, is it is there any point learning how to code? Because uh, all of that will be made uh, user-friendly. Anyone will be able to drag and drop stuff and, uh, and build something out of AI. And all these companies are actually competing to, 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 to make it so simple for you to use AI. Uh, not just the GAFA, you know, but even uh, some uh, new companies, uh, you know, that are just getting started. Because AI is becoming a commodity, you know. Just like electricity became a commodity. AI, uh, so you, you have different blocks of AI, image recognition, this and that, and you'll be able to use that to, uh, to basically, uh, you know, refine your operations in your own company. So, uh, AI is not just something that the GAFA will be using to crush the world. AI is something the GAFA will be competing together against one another to, to deliver to the rest of the world for, you know, uh, very cheaply so the rest of the world can catch up, because this is again a competitive game and the GAFA are competing with one another. We saw that with the cloud computing, uh, you know, so it's it's repeating itself again. So that's why also it's very encouraging, you know, some people are like, especially Yuval Noah Hariri, you know, in his books, is like, a, you know, because of AI there will be an elite of people that will control the world, and maybe the GAFA is the best emanation of that, but I, I don't agree at all with that, I think. AI is gonna, becoming a commodity, it's, it's going to become easier and easier for people to use AI for their own purpose. So, for instance, there's that uh, tool that Google has that will let uh, Disney, um, you know, make sense of all of its content and find back, uh, uh, you know, uh, all the pictures where Mickey Mouse is uh, featured, you know, so this way they can make sense of their catalog and uh, reorganize it uh, however they want. So, this is just one example, but there are so many ways, you know, uh, people would be able to use AI as a commodity, The same as happened with uh, electricity before.
1: Hmm. Well, it could be argued that the elite will control the data net necessarily necessary to deploy AI on significant scale and the infrastructure to deploy it. Okay. Um, so it does give control to, to centralized power. But, but I think
2: we over... I mean, I wrote like an article can, about that, but I think we tend to overvalue data so much because, first of all, uh, data quickly becomes useless. You, know, you have to replenish your stock of data, so it's a never-ending game. Mm. Second, it, it's way faster in a way to build new data than you think. Uh, you, know, uh, you build a float of drones and you, you get them to, uh, to uh, shoot pictures, record uh, you know, uh, videos of uh, all that is happening. This is all data you create from scratch. You, know? you don't have to be a, uh, you know, a consumer startups like Facebook to uh, own all the data in the world. There's so much data you can create on your own. And uh, a lot of that data is used to produce new algorithm that anyway Facebook is giving away for free, that Google is giving away for free. So if anything, they are doing all the heavy lifting for us (laughs) to produce these blocks that people can then use uh, very cheaply down the road. So yeah, data has a lot of value in some instances. And actually, a lot of, uh, you know, old industries, they have so much data that they have yet to make sense of. And once they will, Mm. they will be able to do stuff way better than Google can ever hope, uh, you know, to, to achieve. But allow me then to
1: reformulate my point about centralized power, for example, w- with with a concrete example. For example, for me as an individual, even though it's trivial to implement face recognition, it doesn't give me significant power, right? It's useless to me. Whereas a centralized state wielding facial recognition can implement arbitrary measures of security and and, and population control. Yeah. So, you know, there's still there's still some lever- there a question of power and, and capacity to leverage for infrastructure and to facilitate measures that would otherwise be almost impossible to implement on a population level. No, so
2: right. if you're talking about uh, how government can use AI, yeah, you're right. I think this is definitely a game changer. Uh, what the, the, the Soviet Union tried to do then, uh, it was doomed to right. fail, but yeah. now with no, AI, it's, you, you it's can probably build something really crazy and maybe that's what's happening uh, in some parts of China. So allegedly, yeah, allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> show me the evidence. Yeah, sir. there are some interesting leaks in the New York Times about that. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, that, that's, that's a concern indeed. But the good thing is that, uh, you know, uh, uh, is, there's not just China out there, mm. you know, so uh, I think there will mm. be uh, checks and balances as well, you know, to pressurize uh, governments, not to go mm. too far down that road. So yeah,
0: but yeah,
1: yeah. interesting.
0: I just was meeting with a a couple of um, Chinese nationals that I I know this morning uh, who were talking about uh, the U.S. specifically, where the U.S. is missing it, but maybe it applies broadly to the West, in that we're not taking any kind of coordinated approach to these uh technological revolutions and what they mean for each nation state so contrast that with a china where it is a a very authoritarian regime allegedly allegedly an authoritarian regime where uh they can just tell sectors go do this you know work on this technology here's the money Mm, to do it go do it whereas at least certainly in the u.s it's all just kind of independent with a little bit of it's mostly centered around defense but they really just want you know new weapons they're mm. not looking for other ways to improve people's lives so i'm just curious what you would take as the the european approach to this where is there are governments trying to coordinate industries and build industries? Because we certainly don't try it in the U.S. And China's going all in at becoming the leader in clean energy and AI and these other. They have a certain set of technologies that they've identified publicly, that uh, they intend to be
2: the global leaders on in coming years. Yeah, so I think China, I mean, they definitely has a they definitely have a plan. They have a vision. Uh, they want to catch up, you know, they, they want to catch up so it's a great motivation for them to to get things done and i think uh, all uh, means are on the table you know they're ready to do uh, anything to get there uh, while in the us because us is the the, the, the i mean the most powerful nation uh, until now you know there's a, a high uh, dose of uh, complacency indeed and i think the you know there's no planning there's, there's no great vision indeed but there's also a very vibrant dynamic uh, you know, private uh, sector which is uh, doing a lot of things and i mean you cannot also un- understate too much uh, the uh, what the government is doing because if you look at darpa darpa is i mean this is this is amazing you know the, the kind of uh, research that is happening at, uh, at darpa yeah and, defense uh, advanced research projects agency yeah. it's yeah. kind of like the successor organization to what made the internet yeah yeah and uh, so so like i mean if 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 you if you compare the two i think in china if you if you try to you cannot pick the winners you know that's something we know in the economy if you if you want to pick the winners you're doomed to fail so you can provide incentives but if if you try to control too much the agenda of uh, mm. private companies it won't be as uh, you know motivating for the the smartest uh, uh, minds out there, and uh, they probably want to migrate. And this is, but this is in a way where it's too bad for the U.S. What has been ap- happening lately, you know, when it comes to immigration of uh, talent, they're making it hard for for very talented people to to move to the U.S. So you have a lot of uh, more and more you know, for instance, smart Indians they're moving to Australia or to Canada mm. instead of the, the U.S. It's too bad because that that was the one advantage that the U.S. had uh, over China because China is. So so huge, but you know it's it's hard for people to migrate to China, maybe uh, people with a Chinese descent they can move back, but at the same time also if they have to deal with an allegedly authoritarian state it's it's not so much <laughs> of a motivation, right? <laughs> right So this is something that uh, the u s uh, had uh, for it, uh, yeah, so they're pulling it now and they twice. just yeah. gave it up. It's unbelievable no but it, it can come back very quickly uh, to be honest I, I mean i look, agree with look that. how we yes, we shrunk yes, yes, from yes. Uh, Obama to Trump. No, yes. we're getting used to that yeah. new situation, but honestly, we can, swim, can swing right. back yeah. very, very yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, quickly uh, the other way around, because yeah.
0: Yeah, I I agree thoroughly to defend my homeland for a second. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a defining feature of uh, of the entire country, uh, and we could swing back very quickly. And I would say that still more people are clamoring to get into the U.S. than mm. into China by far. Yeah, right. but
2: and so there was a study uh, just um, published last week where basically the while. Overall, China may be spending more on AI than the U.S. If you look at defense spending, uh, AI defense spending, it's, it's probably higher in, in the U.S. than in China. Because a lot of what China is spending mm. on is like uh, smart cities and uh, that kind of uh, civil infrastructure, but uh, not as much defense. So the U.S. is probably still spending more on uh, defense AI than, uh, than China. And uh, maybe they're spending it uh, more wisely as well, uh, leveraging the, the, the dynamic private sector. I think what's interesting is that dichotomy in the private sector where on the one hand you have Amazon and Microsoft they're ready to uh, work with the basically the you know the the military uh, department while for Google it's uh, you know now it's getting harder mm-hmm. because of all these uh, uh, basically demonstrations from uh, employees so it's it's a really tough question because when they asked Jeff Bezos, okay, uh, uh, shall the the big tech companies work with the government on military uh, matters? He said yes, of course, because if we don't do it, who's going to do it? You know, we we need to keep uh, an edge as a as a country, right? So it's it's a very tricky debate indeed, huh? especially when you <laughs> when you welcome immigrants from all over the world in your company, and now you tell them, oh, by the way, a good uh, chunk of what we're doing. May help uh, the American military. Then oh, you know, as as an immigrant, as a foreigner, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like, okay, do I want that?
0: Yeah. Well, and I'm sitting here thinking. So we spend more of our AI research dollars on blowing other people up versus making smart cities. I'm trying to decide whether Freedom. I feel good. I'm trying to decide <laughs> whether. I feel Why do you good hate it? Why do you insist that? on hating America, Bill? I don't know, man. I just I grew up that way. I guess. God. <laughs> All right, man. All right, yeah. So, Thomas, thank you very much. This was a great conversation. Really appreciate your insights. And uh, again, we'll post uh, to a couple of articles uh, that you've written recently. Great. Thanks. Okay, many thanks to Thomas for coming on the podcast. Uh, We appreciate his taking the time, came into the studio. Uh, You know, in the one article that we referenced Mm -hmm. during the interview, uh, which again we'll post in the show notes, the link, uh, he has a passage in there where he talks about this future potentially of where clean energy will run machines and the machines will be intelligent and capable enough to manufacture other machines. And it just started ringing bells with me and I looked it up (laughs) on YouTube and yes, there it was. C-3PO of Star Wars from Attack of the Clones, he had some thoughts on this. Machines making machines.
2: How
1: uh, perverse. Oh. oh. <laughs> yeah. Perverse. Well... Uh, I knew it was going to be that kind of episode. Yeah, well, I'm glad we got to negativity, because... Uh, finally. At some point during the uh, interview, it was just so, so positive. It's optimistic. And, and I that, hate and it. That just, that
0: just isn't our style, but... Uh, yeah, that's true. You know... Uh, Even though we were kind of positive this episode, we started with negativity. So you know what that means. It means it's time for some happy news.
1: Oh, good news. I like it. Yeah, the good news. Let's read some from the Good News Network on Twitter. Apparently, the first drone project of its kind in Canada is aiming to plant one billion trees by 2028. Oh, I like that. That does sound like something robots should do. Using drones to get trees into the ground.
0: Okay, I'm on board. Good, I like that one.
1: Hotel helps dogs get adopted by allowing long-term guests to foster shelter pups during their stay. Oh, puppies. Oh, puppies. Cannot go wrong with puppies. Okay, last one. American woman just became first paralyzed veteran to complete a marathon using a robotic exoskeleton.
0: Good. Wow, that's a fitting end to huh. the way the episode started.
1: Well, that's probably from DARPA research, so yay, yes. military spending.
0: And from that endless war. Does right. it say which war?
1: No. Oh, the one uh, you won. Uh, yes, of course. Second World War.
0: Well, good. I'm glad she's capable now. So Me too. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, we will be back soon.